Welcome to the Codependent Me Podcast. I'm Tamara Shaw, a recovering codependent, a codependent life coach, and the co-author of God Turned Mommy's Wine Into Water. This podcast was created to increase the awareness of codependency and to give a more holistic look at the journey and healing of codependence. Welcome to the Codependent Me podcast. I am your host, Tamala Shaw. Today we have Charlene Madden. It is my honor to have you on the show. I cannot wait for the audience to be able to meet you. Uh, she is a speaker, an author, a mother, and of course, an empowerment coach. So she's going to tell you things about her life. She is going to bring us in. I'm excited. I've heard a bit about you and I could not wait for this podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very honored to be here. Thank you so much. So tell me a little bit about your life. Um, I, as you said, I'm a mother of three amazing kids. They are all grown. My youngest is 22. Um, I am happily married. I live in beautiful British Columbia, Canada. So I am in the snowy mountains here. Um, and as you said, I'm a women's empowerment coach and it uh, stems from me just wanting to uh, uplift other women and help them not have to go through the, the decades of, of struggle that I went through in my life to get where I am. So absolutely. And of course, it is Women Empowerment Month. Mm-hmm. Great time. Now, unfortunately, they probably won't hear this <laughs> until next month, but no, mm-hmm. <laughs> that this month has been so, it's been so good. I've talked to some very, um, just phenomenal women. Um, you know, we, we hold a, a strength in some of the things that we go through and, uh, I've been trying to push this, this saying recently, uh, a lot of people feel like women, we have this competition, right? And I'm like, it's not about competition. Winning is about collaboration. Mm, when yeah. we come together as a unit, it is, it is so powerful, so powerful. Absolutely. So do you want to, you want to share some things about how you became an empowerment coach, how you got here? Cause most of us that are coaches, we've been through a couple things or, you know, so if you want to just tell us some things about you. Yeah, um, I would say becoming a coach has been a long, uh, a long journey. And I, you know, like you said, went through a lot of things in my life that got me to the point where I wanted to help heal other people like I'd been healed. Yes. Um, I'd always had a passion and wanted to help other people. And um, even as a child, I always wanted to be a reporter. I wanted to share other people's stories. And I think it's because as a child growing up, I felt like I didn't have a voice. Mm. And um, I knew that I had a story that I wanted to share so much as a child, but wasn't able to share because of uh, trauma and shame that I was feeling. And it kind of stems from uh, when I was three and a half years old, I went to live with my grandparents. Um, my 
parents were getting divorced and they had had a very dysfunctional marriage. My father was a, a very violent alcoholic. And of course, my mom left and took my brothers. My sister and I stayed with my dad, but he was in no position to take care of us. So he contacted my grandparents and said, could you look after them? And my grandmother didn't skip a beat. She said, absolutely. And um, she was an amazing woman, very strong, um, in, independent and wanted that for us. Like she was very much into getting a good education, getting a great job, making your own money, not depending on a man is what she taught. And I probably right. learned that lesson a little too well at certain points <laughs> in my life. But um, so as fantastic as and loving as my grandmother was, um, my grandfather was a pedophile. So at the age of three and a half, both my sister and I started experiencing sexual abuse at his hands. And this went on almost weekly for just over nine years. So when I was about 12 and a half, my sister was 16. She was four years older than myself. Um, Everything came to light because my sister basically had a mental breakdown because she was afraid that she was going to become pregnant at the hands of my grandfather. Oh, wow. So everything came out. Um, my grandparents ended up divorcing. So I'm now in another home that is now broken apart and, mm. um, and we're living in a small town. So we're dealing with the, um, the shame and the stigma of everybody knowing what happened. Right. And um, as wonderful as my grandmother was, she kind of just wanted, I think it to go away. She just wanted us to move on, forget that anything happened. And, you know, I remember even as, um, you know, we were dealing with social workers when all of this come out. And I mean, we're talking early to mid eighties when all of this came out, Mm. um, sitting across the, uh, sitting across the desk from a social worker and having her get up and come around and kind of pat me on the back and say, I just want you to know everything's going to be okay. And I was like, okay, I don't know what okay is. I'm 12 and a half. Yeah, Thank I'm 12 you. and a half. Yes. I don't know what okay means. What you know? does that mean? Right? Exactly. What does, what does that yeah. look like? Exactly. I had no idea because I hadn't, you know, like I thought everything was okay. You know, right. even during the abuse, it was still yeah. stable. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. um, so now I had no idea what, you know, okay was supposed to look like. Right. So I go, I'm at the age where I'm going into high school. So, I mean, that's difficult as it is, you know, you're at that age where you're dealing with hormones and, you know, everything that comes along with being a teenager. And I'm also dealing with the fact that even though I'm going to a different school, everybody still knows what's going on. Right. So, so when you say, okay, I just want to make sure I have it all together. So you, you said your grandmother wanted to move. So did she move to a different city? Or? No, she, she just wanted to move on. She didn't move want, on. I'm keep, sorry. Okay. Yeah, no, no. She just she didn't, didn't want, want to keep dwelling keep, on it. Exactly. You know, right. was, she wanted you guys to move well, on to yeah. a better, actually to a better life. Like mm-hmm. this is where you were. Did she, was she, she wasn't aware when it was happening. Yes. Or did she, she says that she didn't know? I, you know, I will never know whether she, right. she did okay. or not, you know. Mm-hmm. I would like to think she didn't know, but, but she did, she did the needful in order to ensure that you guys were in a safer environment. Exactly. And so she wanted to move on. Yes. Did she, um, did she get you guys counseling? I'm sure she probably no. as well. 
right? No, no, there was no counseling. And that was, you know, that kind of is what really uh, perpetuated the problems that I, I went through because there was no follow-up care. And it kind of set a pattern in my life because, you know, I kept having people uh, acknowledge what was going on as far as the struggles that I was having and telling me that I was going to be okay, but there not being any follow-up to help, you know, so I didn't have, I wasn't learning the skills or the tools that I needed to move out of the, where I was at mentally. And I mean, even going into high school, And I started struggling, you know, really early in high school with my mental illness struggles and started Mm -hmm. dealing with depression and, you know, mental illness and suicidal ideologies and, and, you know, feelings of, you know, lack of self-worth that, you know, my parents didn't want me and, you know, and I didn't, you know, I felt emotionally abandoned by my grandfather, you know, for the fact that he would do that Mm -hmm. and, you know, not knowing how to deal with any of these feelings that I was having. And so I started cutting early on in my teenage years as a way of just dealing with the emotional pain that, you know, was so overwhelming because at times it felt like it was going to, I was either going to kill myself or I was going to do this as an emotional outlet just to kind of get rid of some of that pain that I was dealing with. Yes. And then I started writing and it became another way of being able to, um, release that emotional pain I was able to just I always said pour words out onto paper rather than than blood out because at the time it seemed like one or two options and I remember you know my writing was very dark and you know depressing and talked about suicide and and depression and stuff like that and of course so it drew attention from my teacher and sent me to the guidance counselor who sent me to the school psychologist and they said they wanted to do a full assessment, afternoon assessment on me. So I go through four hours of questionnaires and, you know, talking to the school psychologist. And at the end of the day, you know, I remember her looking across the desk and going, we're diagnosing you as bipolar manic depressive. And I'm like 15 and I'm like, okay, like, I don't know what that means, you know? And she says, but I want you to know you're going to be okay. And I'm sitting that here. Going, I know. I know. And I'm sitting here going, what does that mean? if one more adult tells me I'm going to be okay, I'm going to lose it. Right. Because I Where is this know. land of okay. <laughs> I know exactly. And I'm just like, okay. And she's like, if you ever need to talk, you come here and talk to us. And I'm thinking, but I don't want to talk. Right. Like, cause you know, I'm being, you're telling me to talk. My grandmother is telling me like, let's just move on and not talk about it or think about it. Yeah. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to cope with this. And again, no follow-up care. So again, no tools to, to deal with everything. Whatever this is that's happening, you don't know what to do. You're still continuing on as normal, even though you've been diagnosed, nobody's saying, okay, well with this, what do I do with it? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, like, like I said, we're talking the eighties. So there wasn't any like jump on the internet and research what yeah. this means, right? There was no it, Google. <laughs> you're, you're not, yeah. You're not going to the library and checking out that book because right. you're gonna, they're going to think you're crazy for sure. Right. So, yeah. So again, I'm dealing with all the stigma of feeling like, you know, I've, the, the sexual abuse victim and now I'm crazy on top of it. Right. So oh how gosh. do I deal with it? 
you know, I just try to stick my head in the sand and I do like my grandma's saying, just don't talk about it. Try not to think about it. Mm -hmm. And so I just, you know, I started drinking very heavily in high school and that was just my coping mechanism of number one, fitting in with everybody else. I didn't want Mm -hmm. to be anybody that stood out. You know, I was really good in school, but you know, it's, I could maintain that, but also be the kid that was drunk every weekend and just blending in because all I wanted to do was just blend in and be the same as everybody else. Absolutely. So I get through high school and all I'm thinking about is moving away, right? Because um, I had kind of learned from my mother, geographical pattern of dealing with things, right? If things aren't good, just run, you know, it'll be better wherever you go next. It'll definitely be better. Go toward the sunshine. (laughs) Yeah. And we know that never worked. So, so I always said, no matter where I went, there I was. So, um, Mm -hmm. moved away. I moved with my high school sweetheart, um, decided we were going to have kids, uh, very, you know, pretty early on. I got pregnant at 20, had my first daughter at 21. Um, four years later, I had my second daughter and two years after that, I had my son. So here I am, I'm 28 and I'm realizing that the hole that I had been trying to fill by creating this perfect family that I didn't have, which wasn't a perfect family because I was dysfunctional and coping with mental illness and drinking all the time that this hole hadn't been filled and the hole felt like it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I finally, I remember sitting down with my husband saying, I need to leave the house um, because I'm, planning and fantasizing about killing myself and I'm worried that my children are going to come home from school and they're going to be the ones that are going to find me Mm. so I need to just leave and go get my poop in a group or you know as you want to say it politely and so at this point my marriage had pretty much disintegrated anyway so he was like yeah okay that sounds like a great idea so (laughs) off I went and um, within a month I jumped into another relationship and um, when they say like attracts like they are very correct because I found someone who had just left a relationship was also an alcoholic. Um, He had drug addiction as well. And he also suffered from mental illness struggles. And I mean, I wasn't Mm -hmm. aware of the the depth of it at the time, but um, this is kind of where, you know, my codependency, not, not only mine, but I think his, kicked in as well because we were just two broken fractured people that were trying to put our own pieces into someone else thinking we would be together better and um and of course that doesn't work um my depression got bad again two Mm -hmm. years into the relationship um violence had started happening in the relationship he was extremely violent when he drank Mm -hmm. and um one evening real quick yeah. So, but you said your father was also, he was, uh, when he would, when he drank, he was very mm-hmm. abusive. So that was, that was common and normal in a way for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, because. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Okay. The, the dysfunction felt comfortable. And I, think- I always, in my, I've said in, in the past, in my podcast that, um, the word fun is in dysfunction for a reason. Exactly. Because even though it is dysfunction, when you're used to that, mm-hmm. you have, you have this, this joy. I mean, I've, 
I found myself missing certain things that we used to do that I know good and well <laughs> it was it's not good but mm-hmm. it was it was what I knew mm-hmm. so I'm sorry go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah no and and that's you know and I look back once I got to the point where I was more able to look at it clearly I looked at um and I even I think being involved in chaos in COVID really brought me I felt so comfortable with the chaos and I, I remember sitting down going why do I feel so comfortable that the world is in complete chaos right now? And I'm like, oh, because that's how I've lived my life is in yes. chaos. So it's like it kind of feels warm and fuzzy here, you know, right. being in chaos. So, so yeah, I felt you know as as dysfunctional as the relationship was. I knew it wasn't healthy, right. of course. You know, we always know better, but it's just to take the steps to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And to me, my steps out of it usually led to ending my life because it was probably the easiest way mm-hmm. to to get out of the situations and mm-hmm. I remember after one extremely violent night um, he had left and I was sitting on the the living room floor and, and I just was like I can't do this anymore I just can't live like this mm-hmm. I went to my bathroom cabinet and I took all the pills out there were sleeping pills pain pills because he had a back injury And I just took all the pills and then I went and sat on my couch and grabbed a pad of paper and a pen and I started writing my goodbye letters to my kids. And um, because I didn't want to just leave and not say goodbye because they're, you know, they were younger and I thought they need to understand and, you know, I'm trying to justify it in my own mind. I'm trying to justify it in my own mind why I'm doing what I'm doing you know, because here I am. And as I'm sitting here writing this and I, you know, I pray to God, no one ever has ever been in this position before. And I know I'm not the only one. Um, It's Mm -hmm. the most horrific spot to be in, you know, like trying to, to explain that to your loved ones, why you're doing what you're doing. Um, But it also saved my life writing those letters, because as I was writing it, I was like, all I'm doing is leaving my kids just like my parents did to me. Right. And I don't, I want, I'm trying here. I am trying to break this generational cycle of trauma. Mm -hmm. And um, what do I do? I call a cab. I go to the emergency room and I'm sitting at the admissions desk saying, um, I am overdosing on pills and, um, I collapse. I am in a bed with tubes down my throat and my partner beside me crying, you know, saying how sorry he is and, you know, things would be different. And I get discharged from the hospital and I get a call from my mom who I, I had reconnected with and she had been notified that I was in the hospital. And she said, I think you need a change. I think you need to pack the kids up and move out west and I was like what a great idea that is let's just you know geographically run away from our problems again so that's what I did and um, six months after I moved my partner followed me out with reassurances that of course everything would be different we would start a new life and uh, that of course wasn't the way it was but you know and not knowing at the time again how codependent we were because of our mental illness that um, needing that balance that the other person provided you know like when I was up he was down when he was up I was down you know and I always said to this day thank god we were never both down at the same time right (laughs) yes and um, 
So again, this goes on for another decade. There's adultery again, the abuse continues, drug addiction, all the all the horrible things that all I all the cycles. Trying. Yeah, just, it just yeah. it didn't matter. It just kept repeating. And um, you know, I remember he finally came in on a July 1st and said, I'm moving out. I've I'm met someone else, I'm moving in with them, mm. and that's it. And I was like devastated of course because absolutely you know I didn't know how to function in my life without him and the toxicity that it, we had created right. and um, so he moved out and I tried to pretend like everything I was going to be way better off you know um, in the back of my mind you know praying desperately that he's going to come back and want me because at this absolutely. point all I want is just for someone to want me to love mm-hmm. me enough to stay to to prove my worth yes. for being here And about two and a half months after he left, um, I was sitting at work and a police officer came in and said, can I talk to you outside? And I said, yeah, this was an officer who had been involved in one of our domestic disputes. So he knew who I was and knew how, where to find me. And um, he said, I just want to let you know, I just came on shift and saw a notice on the board. Um, We got a call. Your ex-partner has committed suicide. He had, yeah, he had driven up into a mountain location and he had called 911 to say here's where you will find me and he shot and killed himself wow and you know it was weird because it how quiet everything got in the world at that moment you know like I can see everybody's moving cars are driving but everything was so quiet and all I could think of was, I'm going to have to tell my kids that their stepdad, who, you know, as defun- dysfunctional as he was, um, had raised and raised them for 13 and a half years. Absolutely. Life. Absolutely. And, you know, now my dreams of, you know, getting back together and having right. this happy life are right. gone. Yeah. Like I'm now alone again. Right. And I remember about two weeks after sitting with a girlfriend of mine and saying, how angry I was and her saying, you know, it's understandable. Anger is one of those stages of grief. And I mm-hmm. said, no, you don't understand. I'm not angry. He took his life. Oh. I'm angry. He did it first. Oh, oh, wow. Because now I've seen the lives that are you. shattered. Yeah. Now you, you know? have to pick up the pieces. You have to be the one to make it work. And that's really right the reason that you didn't do that to your children, right? Mm-hmm. He, he left you in a position. Oh my goodness. Wow. Mm. Mm. That's, and that's, wow. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. I'll let you. Well, <laughs> that's, oh my goodness. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, again, I, I had over the years, I'd become really good. I'd become a master at um, maintaining that mask of being okay right? Because I didn't want everyone to know I struggled because I was always the caretaker. I was always more worried about everybody else and looking after everybody else and, and just trying to hold it together that, um, I always put myself last, you know, I didn't care about how well I was doing. And all of the adults in your, in your, well, in your life told you that you were okay. Exactly. You're okay. Mm -hmm. So if I'm okay, then I take care of everyone else. Exactly. So I know it was a lot that went on with your children. How were they coping with all of this? How were they coping? Sorry. 
my oldest daughter had already moved. Um, so I had my, uh, my 15 year old son and my 17 year old daughter were at home. And I would like to say that I was really in touch with how they were doing, but the reality of it was that I wasn't. I was completely checked out and so trapped within my own pain that I was dealing with. Um, you know, I remember my, my son was at a sleepover the night that I, that I found out and I, and, you know, luckily it was an amazing family that we went to church with. And, and I remember, you know, going and, and talking to the mom and then, you know, bringing my son out and telling him and just, you know, asking these people, Hey, do you mind keeping him for a couple of days? Mm-hmm. You know, because I was just thinking, I can't, you know, I don't even know how I'm going to look after myself through all this. Right. I don't know how to look after, you know, my child through this. Right. And, um, and, you know, same with my daughter that was at home, like going in and telling her and just, you know, being so emotionally checked out, you know, like we cried together at the time. And then all I could think of in that moment was I needed to be numb. Like I couldn't, you know, what, I, what did I do? I went back to the bar and got completely hammered. Mm. right and that's all I could think of was I can't feel this amount of pain right now because I can't bear it Mm. and um so yeah it was yeah it was and I mean I've my kids and I talked about it and you know my daughter my daughter that was at home was a lot like me where she you know started writing and that's how she got her expression out she was able to start writing and and get her expressions out so um, so here I am, I'm, you know, my daughter moves out actually the next, uh, couple months later, cause she was moving off to go to college. So she mm-hmm. was actually just getting ready to go to college and I receive a life insurance policy from his, from his death. And okay. all I can think of during this time is that I don't know if I can keep going on with life in general at this point um, I had gone and started seeing a psychiatrist and um, I remember sitting it was probably a second or third appointment in and and asking her it's like well how you know because I understood where my baggage came from I knew you know in my mind I'm going okay I know why I'm crazy I just need you to tell me how to fix it right because that's me just tell me how to fix it Mm -hmm. and you know, I remember I'm like, how did you deal with yours, your mental illness and her looking at me and and saying, well, I've never actually experienced mental illness myself. And I'm sitting there going, then how can you possibly understand? Like, how can you tell me you understand how I'm feeling? And, you know, luckily, she never told me I was going to be okay. But um, because I probably would have walked out of the room. But you know, so I kind of disconnected from it. And I went, you know, unless you've been through what I've been through, you can't possibly understand what I'm feeling. Right. A hundred percent. Right. And so, you know, checking out of, of the, the therapy was probably not the, again, best choice that I made. It was another running, running choice that I made. So, um, but you know, before I had left, I had told her I was buying a house and she was so excited for me that I was buying a house because, depressed people don't make long-term plans right right exactly. yeah but what she didn't understand was I was making the plan I was buying a house that was a foreclosure that was valued twice as what I was paying for it mm-hmm. so to me the house was going to be the legacy I was leaving for my children 
Mm. Because I had, you know, I had been making the decision of, yes, this is it. I'm done. I can't do it anymore. My kids are almost all grown and they're going to move out. And then, you know, my, my reasons for being here are Mm going to be gone. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they had been the anchors that had been keeping me here. And once they were gone, I felt like there would be nothing to hold me here anymore. And uh, so I bought the house. I took, we took possession, my son and I in September, and I set a date a month later to take my life. Oh my. And I was planning on doing the same thing. I was going to go to the same location. My ex-partner went to, and I was going to shoot myself. Mm. and what a week and a half before um the date was planned which I was going on a Monday because we all know Mondays suck so I was like all right I'm going on a Monday I'll get through the weekend have a good time and then that's it and um about a week and a half before a friend of mine comes to me and says hey I want to go to this women's workshop do you want to come with me and I was like no that's the last thing I want to do right now and she was like, please, I want to go, but I don't want to go alone. And I'm like, oh. right, there I am again, wanting to, you know, take care of someone else. Right. In the last days, I'm like worried about her being happy. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine, I'll go. So showed up on the Saturday for the workshop. Now, this is the Saturday before the Monday. Right. And I show up, I've got my hunting rifle is in the back seat of my vehicle. Oh, my goodness. And I walk into this room and I immediately feel sick to my stomach because I'm looking at all the women in there and they all seem like they have it together. You know, they're put together, they're well-dressed or, you know, they just, they look like they belong there. And I'm feeling like it's just emphasizing that I don't belong here. Mm. It was like, see, you're, you know, you're just a phony, you know, you're being here and you don't belong to be here. And I sat down and got through the first half of the Saturday, there were speakers that were talking about uh, health and fitness. And I'm thinking that's not relevant for me and finances. And I'm like, that's definitely not relevant for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I get to the afternoon session and a woman comes on stage and she's bald. She has lost all of her hair because of alopecia. And she started suffering as, you know, in her, you know, early 10, 11, 12 years of age. And so she struggled with feelings of self-worth and lack of self-love and no self-esteem and, and how just developing self-love for herself with all of her, you know, what people, society may think of as flaws. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. But she learned to love herself. And the moment she learned to love herself, how everything in her life had changed. Mm. Oh, that's Sitting there and I can hear this little voice in the back of my head and it's like, well, what about you? And I'm thinking, yeah, really, like how different could my life have been had I stopped needing the validation from everyone else around me, that mm-hmm. I stopped needing someone to love me in order to prove my worth, to prove my value, and to prove that I deserve to be here. And then the next speaker gets up and it's a woman who's talking about living with mental illness for two decades. Oh my goodness. And how she had been struggling with suicidal ideologies and, you know, wanting to take her life and how the moment she learned to accept her mental illness as being a part of her, instead of fighting it, 
she embraced it and loved it it, right and accepted this is a part of me i'm going to love it as well as all the good parts i'm loving the good and the bad right yeah how accepting that it was that you know that's how she's wired that's who she is and loving it becomes empowering almost i'm going to i'm not going to allow it to handle me i'm going to handle it exactly wow wow and the minute she she made that decision how her life had changed and again i'm sitting there and i can hear that little voice in the back of my head going like what about you and i'm thinking yeah you know what about me how different could my life have been if I wasn't, you know, I didn't spend every day fighting this mental illness, but I embraced it as a part of me and learned to live with it. That's, um, and I'm sure because you felt that connection to her, she probably gave you more in that small amount of time than your therapist was able mm-hmm. to give because she didn't understand it the way that you knew that that speaker did. Wow. That's mm-hmm. big. How powerful. Okay. I, I can't, I'm, I'm leaning in. <laughs> <laughs> so then the next and last speaker for the day comes up and it's a gentleman and he's talking about living with drug addiction, alcoholism, living with mental illness and depression and suicidal ideologies and how he had spent a year of his life trying to find the perfect mix of pain medication and alcohol so that he could make it look like an accidental suicide, like an accidental overdose, mm-hmm. not a suicide right. because he sold life insurance and he knew all the ins and outs. Jeez. And, oh you know, he, his marriage had fallen apart. He had very limited access and availability to his kids. And it happened on a night that he had visitation with his kids, which very rarely did he ever get a sleepover with his kids. Um, But on that night, he found that perfect mix and he was laying on his couch, knowing that he was slowly overdosing and having that battle between, yes, I've finally found it and I've got my out to going, oh my God, but my kids are here. You know, what is this going to do to my kids? And that same, that same feeling that you felt. When you were writing those letters. Exactly. And he heard a little voice in his head that said, no, not like this. This isn't how it's supposed to be. There's more. Mm. And he got to his cell phone. He called 911 and was able to get help. And his whole life had changed. He got clean and sober. Mm. He got the help, the, the therapy and the counseling that he needed. And now he was going around and sharing his story in order to help other people know that they're not alone and that there is hope. And again, I'm sitting in that seat and that voice is not so quiet this time, but it's going, what about you? And I'm sitting there going, what is going on right now? (laughs) Like I'm at an event that I wasn't supposed to be at that. I didn't want to come to. Right. Right. Yeah, And I've just heard three speakers that have just hit on the three areas of my life that Mm. I need the biggest help with. Like, there is no way that this is a fluke. There's no way that this is just an accident that I'm sitting in this seat in this moment. Yeah. And I was like, okay, like, 
he's going out there and you know he's experienced some stuff i've experienced some stuff what if you know and i always say it was that moment it's like a light bulb moment that happened where i went okay this is my purpose right my purpose is to take every experience i've had all the pain the heartache the suffering that i have endured over my years on this planet and i'm supposed to share that and go you know what it's okay like i see you Yes. I've been in the dark. You can come into the light. Yes. And it was like, I made a decision in that chair that day that I was fully committing to life. Mm. The good, the bad, the struggles. I mm. was in it. Yeah. You know what I think is wonderful? Um, <laughs> you didn't want to go to the conference. You felt uncomfortable when you walked into the conference you had a whole half day to walk away. Mm -hmm. But you were so committed to being there for your friend that you didn't realize that the, oh my goodness, that the whole second half would be the beginning of your new life, right? Oh my mm -hmm. gosh, that is amazing. Mm -hmm. mm -mm -mm. I know there's no, uh, we, sometimes we don't, see the things that are happening in our life that is happening for us right right and right. you know that that day that event definitely was was for me that absolutely event. i mean i would have been hitting my, my friend the whole time i'd have been like oh my gosh oh my gosh <laughs> I, I know but nobody knew like nobody knew right like that's yeah, the thing yeah. i have kept everything so hidden oh. i didn't want anybody to know how i was feeling right okay. but yeah inside I, it was more like like is there a camera hidden here somewhere you know is this like somebody's gonna pop out go haha you know <laughs> <laughs> and so I you know I finished that event and you know the the MC of the event also was like he he did some speaking and he talked about fear and how much we let fear control our lives and how much we let it hold us back from stepping outside of our comfort zone and doing the things we know we need to do to grow Mm -hmm. And he's like, I challenge you to write six things down that, that um, you're scared of, that intimidate you, whatever it is. He goes, write those mm -hmm. six things down. Then I want you to roll the dice. Whatever number comes up, one to six, that's the one I want you to do first. And you keep rolling the dice until you get that list done. And I thought, yeah, I have let fear control my life. I've been afraid of people leaving. I've been afraid of stepping out and, and having my own voice, you know? Mm -hmm and saying, Hey, this is what happened. This is how I'm feeling, you know, yeah. because I felt like it wouldn't be validated or it wouldn't be, my voice wouldn't be important enough. Right. Right. And, um, and, but I decided I was going to commit to doing that. So I had, you know, six things on a list. And, and one of the first things I had on the list was to publish my book, of, publish a book of poetry. So all the poetry that I had been writing, writing as my coping mechanism to just stay alive. I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to publish this. I self-published it. And I said, I'm going to put this out here because it's like opening myself up to the world and saying, here I am, the good, bad, and the ugly, but this is me, right? right? And facing the rejection of someone saying, oh my gosh, that's terrible. You're terrible, right? You know, like all the things that my mind had been telling yes. me, I went, I don't care anymore. I don't care what anybody else thinks other than me. You know, like that, that was, it. I went, you know what? Like I left that event going, I'm going to love myself and that's going to be enough. Like, so literally when you left the event, you knew 
that you would not go through with Monday. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually Um, called, I called a good friend of mine and I said, I need to meet you and I need you to take all of my guns from my house because I, I like to hunt. So I was like, I need you to take all of the guns from my house. And he's like, okay. And he was friends with my ex who had committed suicide. So he was like, yeah, not, not a problem. I'll come take them. I don't think he necessarily knew why. And I actually went to my boss. I'm sure he he was such a good friend that he didn't need to know. This is what she's asking. Yeah. Yeah. I contacted my boss the the next day and I I went in and I said, I gave him a bag of my pills because I had, I have a chronic pain disorder. So I had pain pills and all that. And I gave him the bag and I said, I need you to hold these until I'm ready to take them back. Right. Like I just went, no, let's just clear out all of the options that we had given Mm -hmm. ourselves. Let's just, you know, alleviate that from being in the house and let's just focus on getting well and taking the steps that we need to take to get where we want to go. That is phenomenal. So, um, so your list of fears. Yes. So, um, so I published the book. I decided, you know, okay, I'm going to publish that book of poetry. Um, Mm -hmm. I jumped out of an airplane because I, I'm terrified of flying and I don't like heights. So I thought that okay. definitely will check that box. Um, I want, you know, I'm terrified of rejection. So I went, let's ask someone out on a date because then when they say no, when they say no, I'd already convinced myself that when they say no, we're going to see that we're not going to die, that we're still going to be fine. Right. That it's going to be That's okay. Good. That's good. So I asked the person out on a date and they said, yes. And I was like, Oh, great. You know, which I was like, <laughs> At this point, I was like, oh, wait, I, you know, no, I love myself. That's enough, right? It's like, okay. I didn't mean for you to say yes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like, great, you're throwing a wrench in my plan here. So um, I asked him out in November. We had our first date in December. Awesome. And then we got married the next August. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So it was just like, and I I always say that, you know, when I walked out of that workshop, I think I heard a collective sigh from the universe. They were kind of like, okay, we've been waiting for you. Let's go. Right. Cause it was like everything, everything in my life just started to fall into place. Yes. Like strange, like, you know, just. It was it's because you decided weird. to show up. Exactly. When you decide to show up for you, the universe will as well. Exactly. That is so fun. I think it is amazing yeah. that you asked one person out. <laughs> you are married to that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. Poor guy. That's he didn't amazing. know what he was getting. No. Um, and I, and I had said to the, I went up to the host of the event before we left and I said, I would like to sit down with you and share my experience of this workshop. Yeah. Because for, to me, um, it was so important for me to say, number one, thank you for this event, because, you know, she of course would have had no idea but I also wanted her to understand the power that events like that can have and the importance Mm -hmm. of story and people being able to share their story with people who need to hear it yes and um, she was like great and then so and I had said to her I said I would love to come back next year to your event and share my story and she's like after she heard it she was like yes absolutely and and I remember after meeting with her going oh my gosh, we're making plans for next year. Like, this is actually real plans. I was so excited. I was so proud of myself. I was like, yes, we are. We're in it now. So I went back the next year. I spoke at her event and, um, and it was funny because I went in there and I said, okay, so here's what has changed in my life over the the last year. I've published a book. I've, 
you know, met and married an absolutely amazing man. Right. And now I'm up here and I'm speaking. And I remember just before I got off the stage, I said, you know, my purpose of, of sharing my story is just to reach one person, right? Like I always look for the one person I can reach. And I just said, if everything I have gone through in my life, all the pain, heartache, struggle I have gone through, if by sharing that story, I can save one person's life, it has all been worth it for me. Yes. And I remember getting off the stage and I was going to walk out of the room and a woman approached me and she said, you know how you said you wanted to save a life? I just want you to know today you did. And she turned and walked away. And I was like, and I still get goosebumps every time I tell that story. And I'm like sitting there and I'm kind of like shocked and in awe. And then I could hear that little voice in the back of my head. And it goes, let's go find one more. Like, that's what it was like. Let's go find one more. Cause I really hadn't had any intentions of speaking i just wanted to share you know to the to that you know for that lady as my thank you and my pay it forward i never did you know ever thought about having it as a career or something but it was like that passion and purpose just kind of went no this is what we're supposed to be doing so let's go so and that's why i do what i do now so i tell you um so I shared with you a little bit about the codependency with me and it wasn't, you know, I, I think that your story, my gosh. Um, but God told me that I, um, I, I had been trained my whole life to do what I'm doing. So you had been in training your whole life mm-hmm. ah, for the one, the power of the one. And then it becomes another one. And then it becomes another one. How beautiful. Oh, my goodness. So mm, I I can't, I've got chills. (laughs) I've got chills. So you decided after the conference that this is what you were going to do. Yeah, I just wanted to reach, reach as many, save as many, give hope to as many as I can. So it's beautiful. So beautiful. So is that when you decided to become a speaker or did you decide coaching would come into it? How did you get to the coaching portion? I kind of was doing the speaking first and then I was finding that people were approaching me during and after my, like after my coach or after my speaking and, you know, we're, we're sharing their stories. And then I, you know, I would find a, you know, I was going, okay, well, yeah, you know, I would take the time to listen and then say, okay, well, where do you think, you know, what direction do you want to go in? And wh- what do you think you need to change? And why do you think that you're, you know, yes. what are some of your things? And I found that, you know, and then I had a, a woman that's like, well, you know, you realize you're coaching. And I was like, well, I don't even know what that is. Right. Yeah. And so she starts talking, she goes, you're coaching people. She goes, that's what you're doing through your story. Like people are hearing your story and they're going, I understand that she's been where I am mm-hmm. and she's now somewhere I want to be or moving in that direction. Right. If I can, you know, sit with her, then I can, you know, help. She can help me get to that. So, and for yeah. me, it just, like I said, it's being in that, I want to help other people. It just mm-hmm. felt natural for me. It was yes. like, okay, that's fitting into where I want to be and what I want to be doing. So that is phenomenal. So what's the name of your book? It's called Evolution of Spirit. Evolution of Spirit. And well, where can the audience find it? 
can find it on my website because when I published the book, again, I published the book with no intentions of, um, you know, like, you know, your family is going to buy a copy because they're, you know, they want to support you. But I had no intentions of really selling the book because I published it for me. Right. It was part of my healing journey and my saying, okay, here's what we need to do. So, and, uh, and I actually, I think I had a hundred, I just got a hundred copies. I'm down to my last 10 copies. So there's only 10 copies of the book available. Oh, hurry up, so, people. So, so, and I just thought, well, I'll put them on my website. And then if anybody wants to, uh, yeah. to sell them. So that's beautiful. I love that. Um, <laughs> I love that you were like, I'm just going to put this out in the atmosphere for me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, most times, of course, when you show up for you, you don't realize that you are showing up for people who are Mm -hmm. where you were, right? Um, A lot of times we go through the things that we go through for the people behind us. Like your healing, it absolutely helps the people who are where you were. And you've been able to touch people so many places it's not even just um that's the beauty like we were saying before as far as with COVID a lot of people have started these virtual um platforms where you can reach people that are not just in your city or I know I've done speeches and you know you have to go to that website or you're you're there you know in in present Mm -hmm. but then you may be able to um, get it ordered. But this way, I mean, it goes out everywhere. I mean, you are mm-hmm. literally out in the universe telling the story. Mm-hmm. And, how and, it's one- ever, and it's evergreen, right? So it's yes. like, it may not, someone may not relate to it now, but you know, two years down the road, they may hear this podcast and they're at a spot where it's going to resonate with them because Absolutely. I had heard, you know, and I, I say that to people all the time. It's like, I had heard the same messages that I heard that day. I had heard many times before. I mean, I had been on a self-development journey since my early twenties, cause I knew I didn't feel whole mm-hmm. and I just hadn't heard the right message at the right time. Yes. You, know? you listen with different ears. Absolutely. You went in with different ears. So that is uh, I, it, timing. Timing is everything. Absolutely. Everything. So if there is someone listening right now, that is in a place where you were, um, where you're not really sure because you feel different. Um, you may be contemplating different things. It could be suicide. You know, what would you tell those people? Well, I think the importance that I learned that day, like I said, even knowing that, you know, I knew people suffered from child sexualized trauma. I knew people, you know, had domestic abuse and you know alcoholism like we know all those things and then to hear hear stories and connect with people who have experienced it is completely different and that's what is so important is connection in in our lives and I mean even virtually being able to connect that's one amazing thing that that you know being in a pandemic kind of taught us was that yes we don't have that physical connection but we can still connect with people. And like you were saying, we we're connecting globally now instead of just, you know, so I, there's so many opportunities to get help, to get support. Um, there's other people that have been where you are and have gotten out of there. And, you know, I always, you know, try to leave on my podcast. I always leave with a message that 
um, if you're feeling in a dark space and you don't know where to go and you don't know how to get out of it, like I tell people all the time, I am available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, it may be virtually, but I, I will come and sit in the dark with anyone until they are ready to step up and rise up into the light because I know what it feels like. I know how lonely it feels. And I know that, you know, you don't have to sit there alone. There's lots of people there to support you. So find someone, an organization, an individual, someone that you feel understands what you're going through because not everybody does and bless their heart. Thank goodness they don't. You know, I'm grateful that there's a lot of people that can't relate to my story. That means, you know, that I'm like, thank goodness that you can't relate to anything I'm saying. Right. Um, But, you know, so find the people that can relate and you can connect to. So, yeah, I think being heard is huge. I love that you said, I'll sit in the dark with you, you know, Mm -hmm. because sometimes it's not a word that needs to be said. It's just knowing that someone is there. It could be over Mm -hmm. the airways. It could be over Zoom. It could be over the phone. It could be in present. But knowing that someone is there because when someone takes time for you that they can't get back, that means something, right? Sometimes it's the first time that anybody's ever done it. Absolutely. For a lot of us, right? Yes, absolutely. Uh, that's, that's good stuff. So if someone, uh, they wanted to have you as a coach, where would they find you? Um, you can find me on my website. Um, Ascension wellness studio is where I do all my booking and and stuff through. Um, I do run a workshop every November. Uh, it's just a weekend kind of summit where I bring Uh, different speakers in we talk to women about different topics different subjects just to kind of give us all a little bit of extra help and support in different areas um you can find me on facebook all the social media platforms i'm on charlene madden speaker and author on on facebook and my workshop ignite your life is on facebook as well so you can follow that so you're keeping up to date so excellent um oh i just i had another question it just went away uh you have a podcast. What's the name of your podcast? No, I don't. Oh, you don't. I thought you said you had a podcast. No, no, okay. no. Good deal. Uh, I don't have time. You guys are busy. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know how you guys do it. It's good stuff. Okay. So November, where is the, is it virtual or is it in a city? Um, the first one I did live in the area that I live in. Um, but of course, because of COVID, the second one we had to do virtual, which um, I was sad about. But again, you were talking about it just opens up to being able to impact more people. Absolutely. So um, I imagine it will be uh, virtual. It could be a little hybrid of, of live and virtual. But um, that's what I was going to say. Maybe by November, say, you can kind of do both. Yeah. Exactly. It will be exactly what it's supposed to be. I always have faith in that. So, yeah. Well, I have to tell you, this was an honor. (laughs) Thank you so, so very much for being vulnerable, for being willing to tell your story. Um, It takes strength and it helps. So that means a lot. Um, And I always ask my guests, is there any last thing that you'd like to tell the tell the audience so I'll give you that just anything anything that you want to tell mm-hmm. um, well first I will say thank you to you um, thank you for having these platforms because 
Um, yes, we come on and we share our stories and our struggles and the things that we've gone through, but without your platforms, we aren't able to impact people. So the ripples that you are creating in this beautiful pond that we live in is, uh, is immense and we don't get to see how far they go, but thank you for creating the impact that you're creating. Thank you so Um, much. And I just, Oh, you know, know that you're worth it. I mean, find that self-love, you know, I I try to teach the the three S's. So self-love, self-responsibility and self-awareness, right? Like those are the three areas. If you can work on that, but always start with self-love and know that you are worth being here. You are worth love and um, start with that from yourself, if nothing else. So I love it. I love it. I love it. And on that note, I want to tell my audience that you matter and your story matters. And Charlene has shown us how, if you are willing to tell your story, how it can help so many different people. So thank you guys for listening and have a wonderful day. Bye. I understand that nothing is more valuable than your time. So thank you for listening. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Codependent Me. And check out my website at codependentme.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day.